We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. early look how we're playing the quarterback position that's what we're going to talk about today on stealing bananas i'm ben gretch from my newsletter bengretch.substack.com with me as always is sean siegel you can find all of his great work at rotaviz.com sean we have talked a ton about dynasty over the last month all through may we promised we'd start to get into some redraft stuff i'm just starting some of my more extensive redraft research I think something that is really important over the, that I've learned over the years is a willingness to be sort of flexible. It can be tough to adjust to you know, late news and, and information that we're getting out of camp, which is very important. I think the big it doesn't mean we would take that news at face value over what we know or you know or what we have from our research, what we think about these players, but certainly we know that. This entire exercise is a range of outcomes-based thing. And so a lot of that research, the way I've started to look at it is I want to think through what the, the pro case looks like, what the con case looks like, and then still be flexible to information and, and indications that maybe we're headed towards the pro or, or towards the con case and not necessarily anchored in and 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 weighted down by you know really firm opinions from early in the offseason. But having said all that, we want to certainly start somewhere, right? And, we, and we've done drafts this offseason and all those things, but ADP is starting to, you know, settle in. Rosters are pretty well known now for over a month since the draft. We have a pretty good idea of what these teams are. We've talked a lot about how this is going to be one of the most interesting offseasons that we can remember because of how many key players shifted teams, quarterbacks and wide receivers, you know, chief among them. And so taking an opportunity now over the next couple of weeks, we're going to go quarterback today, running back, wide receiver, tight end as, as separate shows and, and talk through sort of how we want to play the different positions now. But some of that, like I said, is going to be based on current pricing, obviously, but also based on these range of outcome type analyses that that can shift as we start to get more information to lean us towards you know the upside case or the downside case and as you mentioned this is going to be a sort of first look and it's it's fun to take these first looks and it's also fun as you're kind of using them in drafts and ben one of the things that you and i have talked about some is 
the viability and the importance of projections. We did several evergreen shows on that last year, talking about how projections have a lot of value. And certainly you and I both know some people who do unbelievable projections. We do also know that those may come back at the end. One of the things that perhaps is even more important is this idea that we know that ADP is going to be incorrect, expert rankings are going to be incorrect, and getting too caught up in that type of mindset in terms of drafting can be a little bit of a problem. And so one of the things that you and I wanted to do here was to look at the positions through the lens of drafting and through the lens of scenarios, as you mentioned, how can we get scenarios that we think will work together? How can we get scenarios that are priced in a way that if we're right, we actually win as opposed to a more or less just being a wash. This is going to be a fun exercise because this is, again, the starting point. If things kind of go to plan and we may mix this up because the other, the future show idea that we have for it is a little bit more involved, but we are kind of hoping to take a team by team and sort of division by division look at the fantasy players and play out how the season could work, how the different teams could utilize their players and what that would mean from a scenario-based perspective and how could we get exposure to those scenarios, our tiers versus the prices. Obviously, the players you can get from a tier that are less expensive are going to be people that you are looking at even more. But sort of a funny thing in terms of the direction that I'm going with drafting in terms of my own rankings, and you know, listeners know my rankings are up on the site they are in tiers, so you can use that element of it. You can kind of look across positions with that as well. But then I didn't actually use my rankings in drafts last season and didn't use them very much in the previous year either. Those are two of the really successful seasons that I've had. Thinking more in terms of scenarios, thinking more in terms of how you can get the most bang for your buck at each pick as you go through how you can create exposure to the types of outcomes that you think are possible within a given season and to do that inexpensively or as inexpensively as possible. That's really the key thing that we're looking at here from a draft perspective. So I think that'll be a fun element for these shows. And, and again, I mean, these are going to be sort of a a quick look, a first look. We're going to go into more detail later, but Ben, I'm excited to jump in with you here. And we're going to be using the FFPC ADP tool from Rotoviz for the show. We're going to be looking at uh, the slim format. This is a format that I think the ADP from this, you can use in a lot of different things. So if you're not playing FFPC, this is still relevant to you in terms of what the prices of these players are. We'll also be looking at a little bit from a best ball perspective right now. Obviously, a lot of the drafts that are going off are best ball. That does change the dynamic at QB. In best ball, you want to have two. You want to have two guys in the window. In regular redraft, you might be a little bit more gutsy in terms of trying to hit that last guy that you think is relevant and then maybe trying to hit some flyers knowing that you're not trying to take the best of the two scores every week. You're going to have to start a player. Now, there are still going to be elements where being able to have a couple of good players and take the best matchup in any given week, that has some benefit. But we do know that the quarterbacks are much less expensive in redraft than they are in best ball because of that dynamic. 
which which follows and, and makes sense, obviously. And you know, jumping into quarterback right away, the big discussion over the last few years has been sort of this rise of an elite tier that you know you even look three, four years ago, kind of before Patrick Mahomes burst onto the scene, and then Lamar Jackson the year behind him as back-to-back MVPs, we were in a very comfortable sort of late-round QB era where, I mean, Mahomes and and Jackson themselves were examples of players that could come from the, you know, outside of the top 10 drafted quarterbacks and be the overall QB1. You had some players that were fairly consistently near the top, but even guys like Aaron Rodgers, who had done that for several seasons, was having a little bit of a poor stretch of – of performances has obviously since rebounded with uh, the MVP seasons, but you have a, a different outlook now at the top where the emergence of those two guys, the emergence of Josh Allen and Justin Herbert and Jalen Hurts's really impressive rushing profile, Kyler Murray, obviously we now have this top tier of players that can score in ways that, you know, we've long obviously in this community talked about the value of rushing quarterbacks and go back to our buddy, Rich Rebar's Konami code, uh, you know, moniker for the the rushing ability, how, how useful that is both from a floor and a ceiling perspective. You know, he always points out when he was first writing about it, he was talking about, again, this era of more pocket passers and you could go get the Tim Tebow's and the Terrell priors really late or off waivers. And those guys couldn't really throw much, but because of the, really strong rushing value they could provide they could bridge that gap between they they could bridge that cost gap you know as a as a free waiver wire pickup or a late round pick you know between that and what it costs to acquire a top five quarterback today's day and age we now have those guys rushing ability or better and very strong passing ability all in one package with some of these top quarterbacks it's definitely changed the discussion. One of the things that I have felt, I'm really curious about your opinion on this, but as you know, especially as you, as you look at these early best ball drafts, as quarterbacks are a lot pricier, that quarterback window kind of creeps up, right? I think when you were first writing about it, it was maybe like round nine to round 11 or round seven to round nine ish, but it was probably the what QB, seven QB eight through QB 12, QB 13. I I don't know, something like that in today's day and age to get the QB seven or to get the QB 12 or whatever, you're, you're basically paying an extra round or a couple of rounds. And yet we're still as a, a community understanding of not taking quarterbacks in the first round or in the second round, that late round quarterback element has still stuck. And so I wonder if, the purest value in these drafts sometimes is that top tier where you there's still opportunity cost, but you get into like sort of the running back dead zone. You're in the round, preferably not round three, but round four, five, six range. And those quarterbacks do have such a higher ceiling than the quarterbacks you can maybe get in the seven, eight, nine range. Just looking at this tool that you were uh, mentioning the ADP tool. I mean, you have Tom Brady in the seventh round, right? Tom Brady can do, a lot as a pocket passer can throw a lot of touchdowns, but like his ultimate ceiling cannot touch the ultimate ceiling for a lower Jackson or a Kyler Murray. When those guys could potentially throw 
for similar numbers, but then also add 800 rushing yards. And so I've had, yeah, I mean, it's just, it's interesting that that top tier, how much should we value that top tier? It's tough, right? Because you're going to get some monster scores from those QBs and Josh Allen last year, even at his expensive price was very effective in leagues and in tournaments. And so then the natural thing is for drafters to reach a little bit more and say, even if I pay a little bit more, I'm going to still get that value out of that player. And especially if I build my overall team in a way that works, I can maybe survive having passed on that round three value and I'll get into the end of the season and the upside on a weekly basis justifies that pick. And so a little bit here, we're almost looking at different dynamics in a regular best ball league or a tournament scenario. But one of the things that we have seen, and you talk about that window and you get up you know, earlier than the fifth round and you're giving up so much in order to take these guys. And so I'm looking at the NFL Weekly Explorer. I'm looking at the expected points over the last couple of seasons for these QBs. You have Josh Allen at 24.4, Herbert at 23.4, Prescott just over 23, Mahomes 22 and a half, Murray 22 and a half, Brady just under 22. The gap from Allen to the rest of the group here, when you're looking at opportunity, is perhaps not as great as it seems. Now, we also have very good numbers in terms of fantasy points over expectation for guys like Josh Allen and Patrick Mahomes. And that fits in with what you and I talk about all the time, where we want to have exposure to the most talented players that these guys are going to consistently hit on some of the high-end outcomes that help you in fantasy but kind of going back to your point on uh, the qb window it is that tension between having the very top guys and having a couple of guys at more palatable prices and even now that we're seeing an environment in which it's easier to predict how the quarterbacks are going to go and quarterback ADP is more reflective of how they actually finish. I think we still want to avoid paying prices that don't really work. So that kind of gets us back to this conversation of how can we get that upside and not have to overpay. And the two players that I always come back to who have the upside, but also maybe have a little bit of the risk, which is why you can get them at a little bit of better prices would be Lamar Jackson and Kyler Murray. Jackson has that ADP in the second half of the fifth round. Murray has an ADP in the first half of the sixth. But in individual drafts, you will definitely see them fall further than that. And quarterback is definitely a position where you're looking for the guys who fall in your draft as opposed to being locked on to too many people that you have to have being able to take the fallers in any given draft allows you, number one, to get value. That always helps. Number two, you're able to create some different exposures, not have you know, such a heavy roster number for any individual player that when that guy goes down, and quarterbacks do have problems with injuries, right? So we don't want to be like 75% Lamar Jackson. But you look at those two guys and you combine that rushing upside that you mentioned with potential to outperform that I think actually gives them the highest upside of any of the players. 
you look in, obviously the overall expected points are comprised of passing EP and rushing EP. You have four really high profile quarterbacks who are above 4.5 in terms of rushing expected points, having, you know, more than a touchdown worth of EP just on the rushing side, just so valuable. And, and those guys, not surprising, Josh Allen, as you mentioned, Jalen Hurts, and then Murray and Jackson. Murray and Jackson in terms of the high-end outcome, and not even talking about like some extreme, everything goes right, and they're leading their team to a Super Bowl type of outcome. But you look at Kyler Murray in the last two years before he's gotten hurt. Weeks 1 through 11 in 2020, averaging over 31 points per game. Then comes back last year, weeks 1 through 7, averaging 27 points per game. If he could stay healthy, then, I mean, Murray is just an absolute slam dunk at his price. You look at Lamar Jackson over the previous two seasons before he has the injury plagued 2021, he's averaging 27 points per game, has 77% QB1 finishes. When you talk about them as being the beginning of the QB window, if you're looking for upside, I think you've got to go that direction. Yeah, and you know that the the big similarity between the two is they were both hurt for periods last year and so you get this recoil a little bit where we didn't get a full season from either of them kyler when he came back i know he had his first game back uh i want to say he only threw like 20 passes or something i mean maybe it was up in chicago i can't remember the exact game but very very poor from a passing volume statistical perspective and had a couple other games that weren't great you know, still sort of working back from that injury. But we've seen the upside for both of these guys already. Kyler in 2020, you mentioned, started so hot, still finished as the overall QB2, not far behind Josh Allen, who led all quarterbacks that year. 2019, obviously, Lamar Jackson blew the world away with one of the greatest QB seasons of all time. So you have, just over the last couple of years, both of these guys have already actually shown us that. When it's not even theoretical, I mean, they, they seem like no-brainers. And, and if you're going to target these really expensive quarterbacks, it seems, as you said, you know, number one, we want to try to get them after ADP. Number two, it seems very helpful, frankly, that they are organized within this tier in a way that they're, two of the guys that have the most upside are the ones that can fall to the back of that sort of top six, top seven, and sometimes fall pretty far. You know, we did that super flex draft um a couple of weeks ago and we almost got Kyler Murray at 111 and super flex and you know it's a great example of I think he went QB8 if I'm not mistaken at the 10th pick you know if he can follow the way to QB8 that's a really that's a, just a smash pick it's a really easy pick I think with the upside he provides over the the players directly you know behind him you're looking at Tom Brady you're looking at you know Russell Wilson who there's a lot of excitement there, but Kyler's added weapons this year too, you know, and so um, pretty excited for the Arizona offense. So the first step, I think I'm right there with you on that. This, this elite tier, if you want to target it, you want to get good prices and it's pretty nice to highlight those two players as really huge upside possibilities that also can be the ones that are the ways to play this tier cheaply. But as we start to move, you know, further into the draft, say you miss all of those names, the opportunity cost at various picks is not where you want it to be. You don't 
you know, there's some wide receiver that you just have to have, and then you don't get that cheap price or that opportunity to take the quarterback where it makes sense. And when we often talk about when things start to flatten at other positions, that's when it makes sense to pull the trigger on the quarterback. Then you have to make a plan for what to do next, because, you know, I'm looking at the ADP tool. You have Josh Allen in round three, Patrick Mahomes in four, Herbert and Lamar in five, Burrow, Kyler, and Hertz all in six. But in seven, you have round seven, you have Tom Brady, Russell Wilson, and Dak. In round eight, Aaron Rodgers and Matthew Stafford. And in round nine, you have Derek Carr and you're into Deshaun Watson territory. This is in a tight end premium format on FFPC. If you're playing on underdog, these quarterbacks are going even higher. But we're talking about, you know, Derek Carr, who you love, but Derek Carr in round nine compared to Kyler Murray potentially when he falls after ADP in late round six or even sometimes early round seven. To me, there's just no question that I would prefer to take Kyler at that more expensive price. But if you do miss him, now we have to start to build a new plan. And there's a lot of really interesting quarterbacks the further you get down. There's people that have made strong cases for, you know, for Carr, adding adding Devontae Adams and weapons and new coaching staff. I've, I've seen a lot of strong cases for Kirk Cousins, not a guy I'm a huge fan of, but new offensive system could be very positive for him. Certainly Trey Lance presents the, you know, the the Konami code rushing upside ability, and there's a lot of optimism for him. You can go further down the list, and you have Tua adding Tyreek Hill. You have Matt Ryan in a new situation. Justin Fields has that rushing ability. Terrible offensive situation, it appears. But there's a lot of names. go even further. Zach Wilson, all these weapons. Daniel Jones you know, has Brian Dable now. Everything has shifted, it feels like, on all of these teams. What is your preference when you don't hit on any of those top tiers? Do we want to then be looking in the round seven, eight, nine range? To me, that's a little bit too pricey. You know, I do like Russell Wilson. I've talked favorably about him this offseason. I do still, I think I'm higher than you on Dak. I do still like what Dak could potentially bring. But drafting those guys around behind you know, that elite tier, I, I want to get discounts on them too. And I'm not sure we're getting discounts where they're at. So it, it does present an interest, you know, how do, how do you solve this quarterback question when you don't get one of the top guys? Yeah, and I'd like to throw it back to you and ask about Brady, who was someone who comes in, you know, just after the Allen Herbert level in EP from last season. And then because he was so efficient, had those weapons he added a couple of fantasy points above expectation. We have some interesting elements here with quarterbacks who could, I think, have some risk because of age or loss of weapons or a team shifting a little bit what they do. And so one of the things with best balls, we have to have two quarterbacks in the window and so you might take one of these top guys and then come back with someone like a tom brady or a russell wilson or Dak prescott i'm with you in that i don't have a lot of exposure to them because just one round later they're gonna have to really be good to justify that cost and with brady you lose Chris Godwin, the replacements there. I mean, it seems like Kronkowski is going to play, but there's a potential to lose that. I mean, that offense, you know, Bruce Arians retires. The dynamism might not be 
quite the same. And if it's not, Tom Brady is more of a round 10 pick. I mean, you could easily be three rounds early on him, which obviously not something we want to do. Russell Wilson, Dak Prescott, one of the things that we talked about earlier in the offseason is that you're now losing some of that rushing upside with these guys. I like Wilson, but I would prefer it to be in round nine. You've got those upgraded weapons, but it's going to be a new situation. And in some ways, it might make more sense to be excited about the individual wide receivers than to go back and put it on Wilson there in case everything doesn't come together as fast as we're hoping. Prescott loses some weapons. Now, they brought some people in, but there's a, a little bit of a hope-based element to thinking, okay, CeeDee Lamb is going to be a superstar. Tolbert, Washington, you know, Gallup comes back toward the early part of his timeline and makes an impact. So if you're looking at that from the perspective of he's not been as dynamic as a rusher, he would need to be very efficient. Can all of those things come into play? So then you move, you avoid that tier unless they fall. And you get to that next tier, which is Matthew Stafford and Aaron Rodgers. And as you mentioned, Stafford, with the way that they pulled back toward the end of last season and the way that they have added pieces to where maybe Stafford elevates those pieces, maybe the coaching staff and the scheme elevates those pieces, but when you're basically talking about Matthew Stafford and Cooper Cup, right? Is that enough for a non-rushing quarterback where the team, if they dominate on defense, would kind of like to be run heavy? Do you want to pay that price? Aaron Rodgers, the same type of thing. In a situation where the team actually doesn't want to run very many offensive plays, doesn't want to be in shootouts, now doesn't have the weapons, do you pay that? So then you're around a Derek Carr. <laughs> you know, Do you want to pay for Derek Carr in round nine? Deshaun Watson, the wild card. I kind of like the way that you put this together. I think that Trey Lance in round 10 has to be somebody that you're targeting. But then, Ben, it gets tricky and fun because the next QBs, Cousins, Tua, are you going to make them the focal point of your season as you're trying to make a run to win you know, a million dollars or $200,000 or what have you? You wrap back around into 12. And we get some of the up guy, upside guys with Trevor Lawrence and Justin Fields. Blair and I actually took Trevor Lawrence in our Superflex draft this week because he fell a full round. He's gotten some weapons upgrades as well, even though not a superstar. How are you looking at this kind of round 12 range, which also includes Matt Ryan? There's some enthusiasm for the Colts, but with the way he played last year, I mean, that feels like a, a Philip Rivers type of situation, which isn't necessarily a bad thing for some of the individual players in that offense, especially the running backs. But when you're betting on potential upside seasons, and then you mentioned the QB window, we really want to have two of the top 20 quarterbacks. But one little thing we might throw in there is if you have a quarterback outside that range ranked as QB 15, you wouldn't necessarily pass on that player or pay more to get a guy you have ranked lower the flip side is that the reason the qb window exists is that when people emphasize these later picks and think that they're going to pan out it tends to hurt their team so we have that tension so then as we get into that range i mean is it trey lance almost exclusively for you we also have justin fields there and i think that when you're looking at two quarterbacks you're looking at winning tournaments. You're looking at the rushing upside. It's it's hard for me to target some of these passing QBs where I mean, they're going to have to be good to be competitive. And 
with the runners, like just be decent. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's U-N-I-F-Y-D healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. Definitely. There's so much you said there that I agree. That was even going to say when you were talking about the top 20 quarterback thing, you know, you better be right when you're outside the top 20. You better have a very strong case for ranking a guy essentially as a top 20 player that you're drafting outside the top 20. And I think there's one that we haven't mentioned yet that I want to hit on that I, that I think could potentially fit that. But first I want to mention sort of the the middle group, that big group that starts with Tom Brady and, and you'd asked it. I mean, I think in best ball, the easy answer is you're, you're looking to stack in a lot of those situations. Brady for me, I mean, on one hand, he's a tough one to play because I'm not really loving Mike Evans price. I don't really love Chris Godwin's price either with his injury. I, I I think, you know, some of the research I was doing into like targets per run earlier this off season, we saw that sort of start to tick down for Evans. We saw it stay pretty steady and even tick up a little for Chris Godwin this past year, even as they had, you know, Antonio Brown around um, and Godwin got hurt you know, at, at a point where Brown was then sort of off the team late in the year. Basically what I'm saying is a, a, a solid percentage of Godwin's routes came when they were more at full strength. Um, you know, Brown was in and out a little bit, but Gronk was there. A, a deep offense where I, I feel like last year without the, the Godwin ACL, I mean, we'd be looking this offseason as, as if this was a – uh, last year was the shift to where Godwin's entering his prime, Evans is exiting it, and and Godwin is, is starting to really take over. Um, 
in a way where they were sort of close to each other, but that makes that receiving core tough to play now because Evans is obviously in a great spot early in the year. And then I think there's a good case that Godwin could come on late and, and sort of take the wind out of Evans sales for, you know, what his 2022 season looks like. And I don't know if that's still enough to, to justify Godwin's price. And so then it's like, okay, how do we, you know, stack Tom Brady? If those are clearly the two pieces that we want, I mean, you can go to, to Gronk, like you said, who's probably a good, a good value right now. If, um, if he does play, I'm not going to be rushing to, to draft Russell Gage, you know, playing around those three potential Hall of Famers. Or, you know, it's probably a little early for Godwin, but Mike Evans is, seems to be on his way to doing that with the, the stretch of 1,000-yard seasons. Gronkowski, obviously, first ballot kind of guy. So so Brady's been a tough one to stack. I And I think there's also an argument. Look, he's coming off a, a massive season. He led the NFL in passing yards. He led the NFL in passing TDs. He had a really strong season the year before as well, but finished quite a bit lower in the QB ranks. I think it was like QB seven, uh, even with a good season. Because when you have no rushing ability, and he does add a couple of rushing touchdowns, but you do need to basically lead the league in passing yards and passing TDs to be able to have a top three, top five type season. And so he's a tough one for me. Wilson, I mean, I do like stacking him. He's very fun. You can get into KJ Hamler and and um you know, even Tim Patrick, if you want later, I, you know, like you prefer playing Hamler at the even cheaper cost. You have the tight ends. Okugbanam, obviously a little bit cheaper. If you get one of Sutton or Judy, then Wilson becomes a really easy pick. And then you're, you know, finding ways to tack onto that at various price points throughout the rest of the draft. He's super nice to stack. So he's more of a target, I think, in that regard. Um, but like, oh, I don't want to hit on all the different players. Dak, similar, but. To me, it's, you know, right now in best ball, a discussion of who makes the most sense from, you know, the way you're building your roster. But, I'll, you know, get to Stafford, get to Rodgers. The, the big question for all of them becomes past TD, you know, rate. And we know that's not particularly stable. It was really high for Tom Brady last year. It could be high again this year. It could be a little bit lower, like you said. I mean, there's there's ways where the Bucks don't necessarily just absolutely shred in points. That's sort of the default assumption right now with you know where Brady's being ranked and that's kind of a tough one right with Gronk not on the roster as you said it's an issue for Rodgers without Devontae Adams it's a potential issue for Stafford you know can these guys have these big pass TD seasons there's been enough shifting in all of these different offenses that I do think in in best ball it's really important to be stacking making your bets correlate but as as we get to the later rounds like you're talking about I, yeah I'm not thrilled about Cousins I'm not thrilled necessarily about Tua Tua seems like he should be sort of an easy winner. I mean, they have a really nice skill position group around him. You have Tyreek, you have Waddle, um, obviously Gasicki and, and other pieces. And yet, I, you know, <laughs> that's, I I don't love paying their prices because I'm a little bit concerned that Tua can necessarily, you know, support all of that. It, it's tricky. These these ranges are very tricky. I think, you know, I'm, I'm right there with you on Lance. Lance seems like a very clear target right now. He's somebody that in Dynasty I've been telling people I, I don't want to be acquiring right now until Jimmy Garoppolo is not on the roster because he's so expensive in, in Dynasty that what, you know, I don't think he can get more expensive when, when if and when Garoppolo is not on the roster. If Garoppolo is still on the roster, even if Lance is starting, then you have this issue of, hey, Lance might not even be the start of the whole year if he's not good. But in, in best ball or in season long, 
at the price that you have to pay to get him on your roster, that's not as much of a concern. That's not the reason that's a concern dynasty is if he does get benched in, in this coming year, after not playing in all of year one, you could see his value really crater in a dynasty format in best ball. Like, yeah, that's a bad outcome, but we're just sort of looking for upside and, and short-term upside. And we're not killed. I mean, it's a problem if he's not playing, but we're not killed in the same way as dynasty where it reverberates over multiple years. We're just, you know, we lose that roster, but that's why we're more focused on these extreme upside outcomes as well. Cause we're just trying to maximize our win percentage. And Lance is such a clear upside play with the rushing ability. If he shows any confidence as a passer and with the weapons he has, I mean, you have to assume that he can. And so, like you said, he doesn't have to be great as a passer. He doesn't need that. The big pass TD rate, the rushing value is going to provide a really strong floor. And, I mean, it's been beat to death. He only had a couple of starts last year, but he ran a ton in those games. I mean, it was like, you know, Lamar Jackson going into Lamar Jackson's second year where it's like, well, this guy's rushing profile could actually be not just good. And like, there are degrees to this and, and his could be at the very top of the league. And that means he doesn't even have to be average as a passer. Right. And so, I mean, I think that's something that gets missed. Oh, yeah, I have a mobile quarterback. But what is that mobile quarterback's actual range? Lance's range includes best-in-class rushing production, which would really shift his range of outcomes. It would make his floor plenty high every single week. It would make his ceiling incredibly high as well. It would almost lock him in to the top 10, probably the top six or so, if he's like an 800-yard, eight-touchdown rusher, which is very possible, I think. And so he's an easy one. Fields has that element to him too. And that's the argument, even though his team looks horrible, he could be that type of rusher too. It's hard because I, it's like, it's hard to imagine that he can even be an average passer. Right. And so he would have to hit that ceiling as a rusher, as a, you know, to have the below average passing stats, then equate to real upside. If he's a, you know, a, a pretty average mobile quarterback in terms of his rushing stats, that's not going to propel him into the top 10 on itself, you know, by itself, he'd have to add some pretty good passing efficiency. I mean, all of these things are going to, you know, relate to each other with fields. That looks like a really tough outcome. The way I've described it recently on the show is that he's going to have to make some significant improvements basically to just look average. He's going to have to play above average because the surrounding cast is not going to elevate him by any means. The guy outside the top 20 that I'm interested in, I mean, there's a couple. I think Zach Wilson is an uh, is a cheap way of playing that second year quarterback group. You have to love the upgrades and the skill positions, and sort of similar to what I was describing with Lance. In the scenarios where he's bad, that hurts you, but it doesn't like it is what it is basically for that roster. I mean, it kind of does kill you, but it's not. Uh, it's one team. You want some exposure to him because there are outcomes where he's good enough that that surrounding cast is going to elevate him. The other guy for me is Ryan Tannehill, who I think the fantasy community is just low on. I think we talked about him recently in, in a dynasty per perspective or in dynasty light. But I mean, Malik Willis is there. Malik Willis is very exciting from a fantasy perspective if he ever plays. But he's a third round rookie. Tannehill led the Titans to a number one overall seed last year. Yes, they're going to be run heavy with Derrick Henry. Yes, their receiving room is weaker without A.J. Brown. There's absolutely no question. He lost Corey Davis, you know, the the year before, and, and they can continue to get depleted. If you go look at their depth chart, I mean, I'm thinking Nick Westbrook Akine is going to be playing a pretty good role. Uh, they brought in Austin Hooper. I mean, like, these are the guys that 
once projections roll around, people are going to be saying, well, somebody on Tennessee's got to catch passes. Obviously, Traylon Burks is there, but we haven't got great early reports from him. I still think they're a dark horse to, or maybe not a dark horse, maybe a front runner to land one of these available receivers. Maybe Julio Jones's makes sense, obviously, given that they were the ones who cut him. Uh, I was looking up Will Fuller the other day and saw some Titans blogs that are kind of pleading with the Titans to, to go draft, uh, excuse me, go sign Will Fuller, which would be, you know, the type of player that they need to add because him and Traylon Burks with Austin Hooper, like that's, it's not good, but it's not that they could play off each other. Burks could play obviously closer to the line of scrimmage is something that we know he does very well um, and, and should be able to contribute early with, you know, the yak ability and those things. And then you'd have fuller stretching defenses. But if they add someone else like that, the thing that I love about Tannehill's profile since he took over as the Titans starting quarterback is he has, he's had a lot of rushing touchdowns, even as he's into his, you know, into his thirties, he continues in their offensive scheme that has been pretty stable to rack up a pretty strong sort of rush TD per game rate. I'm not sure that I'm necessarily like definitely going to bet on that to sustain. That's, you know, quarterback rushing touchdowns are not particularly uh, sticky year over year, but it is interesting. It's something that you can look, he's had at least one, I know in his, his playoff games with Tennessee, you can look into his sample going into the playoffs as well. It's still pretty solid. I think, you know, when you go and you dig into it, you look at the projections, okay, he's probably going to give me some rushing yardage. And and I would guess a little bit better than average rush TD rate. And then it's just a question of, like, can they continue to be an efficient passing offense without A.J. AJ Brown? I don't know that the ceiling's, like, massively high, but when you're talking about this point in the draft, I think he can be a, you know, a back end of the quarterback window type quarterback. He's going at QB 23. He's a guy that I think, you know, deserves to be in the top 20 or has the profile to compete with these back end of the top 20 guys, the Kirk Cousins, if you will, who's at QB 16. Um, so when you get at that point in the draft, he's a, he's a name that I'm definitely willing to look at and say, I think the face community is a little bit down on just because of the Malik Willis pick a little bit more down than they should be because Willis, you know, third rounder, all these reasons that I said. And you were mentioning the rushing upside from Tannehill there. He is, over the last two years, number two in rushing fantasy points over expectation. The only player who has generated more on a per-game basis would be Kyler Murray. He runs more, which obviously gives you more opportunity to outperform uh, on a per-game basis there. That's, as you mentioned, as both a positive and a negative, he can score those touchdowns. There is some potential that if that snaps back then his overall profile gets to be very weak because within the context of this titans offense his total ep not particularly high 18.4 that's playable if you outperform it and if you have him paired with someone else's good also playable if you think there is some breakout to the upside opportunity as you kind of described with their receiving core and also just with their tendencies it probably doesn't happen and so from that perspective we do need him to run we do need it to be efficient i would agree he's better than people give him credit for i was interested in your take on justin fields i might even be a little bit more optimistic than that because one of the things that we do see especially at the quarterback position is you almost have this ceiling and this floor because of game script and how these games are going to play out quarterbacks you know like an aaron Rodgers, who are so explosive and so efficient in the first two or three quarters of the game 
you know, you don't need to continue to bury the opponent. And so you almost have to have sort of this Patriots revenge, Tom Brady-esque type of narrative situation where the team is a, is definitely trying to pile all those points on to get the full value out of a really good QB. They're limited by how good they are. As long as you don't get benched and as long as your team doesn't decide to just go David Montgomery into the middle, let's see if we can keep these deficits from being really ugly and embarrassing us then perhaps there's a lot of fourth quarter upside with fields both running around and throwing to some of his guys here one of the reasons we were higher than consensus on tj hawkinson and deandre swift last season was that we did project them for heavy work in the fourth quarter of games early in the season that really paid off for us and then obviously with hawkinson we had the injuries with the lions overall they started to be surprisingly competitive and Perhaps the Bears will be surprisingly competitive in the second half of next season. I guess I wouldn't bet on that. But Fields, again, with the rush and pass dual threat ability, I like him there. But I'm going to throw one back out to you here as kind of my pick for outside the QB window. We debated a little bit during the NFL draft itself, and you were much more conservative on him but i just i feel like jerry goff now with these weapons becomes an interesting low-end play blair and i were drafting in the superflex version of the contest we took goff in the seventh round when he fell below adp and that element that you mentioned with tom brady that i think does make tom brady someone who is less appealing and it really is one of the reasons that i don't have hardly any exposure is that for someone where the stack element is important and i think on these pass heavy qbs especially if they're going to be successful it's going to be through the air if they're successful through the air and you're in a tournament it's going to pull one of the receivers with them you need to have that pairing for it to work and i don't want to pay for those guys but you look at jerry goff and if he blows up i'm on ross st brown dj chark jameson williams even if you want to go with something like tj hawkinson you can put him with a pass catcher without having to pay that. And we look back at Goff and he gets so much criticism for how he played in 2020. You can look at the 2018 and the 2019 seasons, very, very good during those. But even in 2020, he averaged 20 points per game and 73% of his finishes were QB2 or better. I was like, well, he's no longer in that situation with the Rams that is so good. He becomes this punchline with the Lions, but then he continued to fight he had a couple of good games early mostly bad during that stretch when the passing game was struggling and then he comes back from his injury and after week 10 he again averages 20 points per game that corresponds with the amon Ra breakout but it's also a time period where he doesn't actually have hawkinson doesn't have swift for the most part there they play only really a handful of snaps during that stretch he'll have those two guys he'll have chark he'll have williams maybe especially over the second half of the season he gets to be this interesting play and he is someone who scored in the past. Now, I've tried to make the case kind of for myself that he is an arbitrage play on Cousins or Tua. His performance over the last couple of years doesn't quite justify that. I mean, Kirk Cousins has been a solid NFL player. But if you look at Cousins, you look at Matt Ryan, you look at where they are in terms of arm strength, you look at some of the mistakes that they make, you look at some of the limitations they have from a fantasy perspective, and then you look at Jerry Goff, these dome games the weapons 
I think if you're going to reach down into that area, he becomes a little bit of a compelling play. I still have a hard time with it, with his complete lack of rushing ability and knowing that when he was good in the past, his offenses were top five, top three in some cases in the league in, in points. And so you, you know, you're going to have high touchdown rates. He's obviously a part of that, but the, those Rams offenses were, I think you have to project the Lions to be ahead of schedule and be good this year. That might not be such a crazy projection. I do have a tough time with it though. I would say when you're talking about the stack options, especially at Amon Ross St. Brown's price, I don't think that I care to have Amon Ross St. Brown in that stack um, or even Hawkinson necessarily. I think the key, if you're going to play golf, is that you do hit either DJ Chark or Jameson Williams because I think the key to golf's upside is the huge passing numbers that requires one of those guys to be a vertical element that golf maybe hasn't always had. But if like Jameson Williams is an absolute boon uh, you know, when he's ready, then you can you can see a path where that's elevating golf stats, right? You're you're getting these long touchdowns that suddenly he looks a lot better. I mean, I, I think the Amaran Hawkinson guys underneath could be also part of those stacks. I'm just saying I don't think you necessarily need them. That especially when you talk about prices, um, those guys going in the single digit rounds, Jameson Williams and DJ Chark going outside the single digit rounds are the ones that, you know, on, on teams where I hit those guys, now I think it makes some sense to be going to golf because you you want to have the vertical element for golf's uh, numbers, I think, to get to where they need to be. And just to kind of finish out with a couple other late potential targets, I like Mac Jones. I think when you add Tyquan Thornton and Devontae Parker to this offense that has some guys that each of us like, he takes that second year leap. He was surprisingly good as a rookie. Sometimes when the offense isn't that flashy or the player isn't that flashy, the second year leap doesn't, you don't have to pay for it. And so that part is interesting with him. And then Ben, you and I are obviously on Marcus Mariota. Yeah. Mariota at QB 30, probably even a better bet than my Tannehill argument. Um, definitely, you know, with, Gonna add some mobility, and maybe he's just better than uh, what we've had an opportunity to see from him so far. That's a little bit of a hope and a prayer, but at that price, again, these are the guys we're talking about that you don't necessarily want to be taking, almost if you can avoid it at all costs. But if you get into this range, these are the names that might save you. And and I think you made some good counter arguments on Tannehill. You already sort of changed my opinion a bit there. As I was thinking through what you were saying, I was thinking, I, I think I can make a pretty compelling case that he could be like a QB 15 type, but there's not really that much upside. And so it's still just, um, you need you need him at a good price. You probably need to pair him with one of that elite tier, like if you get a Kyler or a Lamar, and then you miss the QB window entirely for a QB two. I think Tannehill makes some sense as that sort of could be uh, uh, you know, the QB 15 overall next year in a way that would work on that type of a build. But I think I'm with you that he doesn't really have top 10 upside. I, I don't think I'm really sold that golf does. I like Mac Jones as a, as a potential step forward guy, but again, no mobility. So he has to take a big step forward. He has to be a guy who suddenly is competing for the league leading passing touchdowns and in passing yards. I don't know that this offense is going to allow him to do that. I've heard people talk about Davis Mills. I don't, again, no mobility. Don't think this offense is going to allow him to do that. I mean, Carson Wentz, we can just sort of LOL about. Mariota's maybe the one that because he adds the mobility. Um, we didn't mention Daniel Jones. There's another one. Add some mobility. 
if the passing element is there as well, um, those guys, I think you can start to make a case could be top 10 type players. Zach Wilson going a little higher. We also kind of mentioned, but that mobility is, is super, super important. Quarterback position. Very interesting. This was sort of our, you know, our early look, we talked through it. I don't know that I feel a, a ton better <laughs> about it. Um, I think the more we talked about that middle tier and how expensive they are, and then especially these guys outside the top 20 and trying to make some cases for them, the more I liked our initial conversation about Lamar Jackson and Kyler Murray. Yeah, I have them on a huge percentage of teams. One of the things about drafting them specifically this year, and it does vary per draft, and it is why having flexibility as you go into the drafts is important, but they are often in a range where unlike almost every other season, the wide receiver position is flat. And if I'm looking at taking them plus a wide receiver in round 11 or taking the wide receiver there and a QB from round 11, then it's very easy to get onto Murray or Jalen Hurts and wait at the wide receiver position. You mentioned Daniel Jones. He's a perfect one. I, I love the, the rushing upside there and this change in terms of the coaching staff and the possibility that he actually has some weapons. I think that we could see the giants be a real kind of sneaky fun team this season. The reason that I don't have a lot of Daniel Jones does come back to the quarterback window and not wanting to miss. And so tending to have a guy in that fields Lance range, instead of trying to hit Daniel Jones and then deciding, you know, are you comfortable with the low upside of a Mac Jones or a Jerry Goff? Are you comfortable when you really want to have two QBs in most formats of taking a Marcus Mariota and having him benched? And so that would be the reason that I miss on Jones is simply not wanting to hit on the very last guy, because if you miss on the last guy, then you're looking at not a completely dead roster. And there are obviously other things you can do. There are other people to draft, but you do knock down the overall potential of it quite a bit, I think. And so that's the reason that I haven't hit him. We, we just keep coming back to these guys who have the hybrid ability. It is so important, both from a single game perspective and a full year perspective. Derek Carr, Ben, I mean, that's, that's the sweet spot. You want to get your rushing QB, pair him with Derek Carr. Derek Carr going to take the huge I step think forward. of all the quarterbacks we looked at, Derek Carr is probably the most overpriced. <laughs> Is there one quarterback that's like more out of place than Derek Carr going right behind Aaron Rodgers? Derek Carr often goes ahead of Aaron Rodgers, Ben, because wow. he has Devontae Adams fifth in the NFL last year in passing yards. The four guys ahead of him all threw at least 14 more touchdown passes. I mean, you were the one explaining this touchdown rate. Be willing to bet on. I don't think you said be willing to bet on the guy who's not as good. Is that the takeaway? <laughs> I'm not sure I'm following. So bet on Carr because he's not as good as. Because you don't have to pay for 2021 touchdowns with him. Oh, got it. Right. So he, he hasn't done it yet, but he could do it. Um, but, you know, I'll say this. I'd rather take Derek Carr in the ninth and Kirk Cousins in the 10th, I think. I, I just I don't get it with Kirk Cousins. I mean, he's shown some touchdown ability. I think Justin Jefferson's incredible and probably going to carry him to some decent games. But like, what's the full season upside? He's going QB 16. It, it feels like the full season upside, even if Jefferson's the overall wide receiver one, Cousins probably finishes like QB 13. Like, okay, cool. 
Congrats. You drafted him QB 16. Adam Thielen is going to have a word with you once he has a 17 touchdown season and those guys finish as wide receiver one and wide receiver seven on the season, Ben. I guess Cousins was QB nine last year, QB 11 the year before. So maybe me saying his his ceiling is QB 13 is a little bit unfair, but I, I just, I don't know. I don't know what these prices for those guys is. Look, I know you don't think Derek Carr is average, but these very average quarterbacks that don't have a lot of rushing ability. I don't want to be taking them in these ranges when you can also get, you know, a lot of the guys we, we talked about, Trey Lancer. Hey, let's take the swing on Justin Fields. So that'll do it for our first episode looking at the positions, how to play them, how to get the most bang for your buck price. So important. Ben and I disagreed what's on QBs today, which is always fun. Obviously, we mostly are drafting in sync here, and we gave you a lot of QBs that both of us like and that have very palatable prices for the upside that they give you, the flexibility they give you in drafts. We'll be back with our next show looking at the running back position. Running back, obviously, the sexy position for fantasy I'm Sean Siegel. With me, as always, is Ben Gretchen. You can follow at Yards Per Gretch. Make sure you sign up for Ceiling Signals. If you want to sign up for Rotoviz, you can use the coupon code RVRADIO2022 at checkout. Draft with us on Underdog using the coupon code Rotoviz. Knock that one down. Today, Ben didn't mess up just simply saying Rotoviz for the code. Subscribe to the feed. Leave us a rating and review. You guys have been absolutely fantastic. We love the Ceiling Bananas community. Chat with you soon. It's happening daily. We're being conned by the institutions we used to trust. The mainstream media is distracting us with meaningless headlines instead of focusing on the harsh realities facing American families. Time is short before something big happens, and that's why so many folks are preparing. They're becoming self-reliant by investing in emergency food storage from My Patriot Supply. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure four-week emergency food kits for each member of your family. Each kit contains tasty breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Save $50 on each four-week food kit you purchase. Plus, get free shipping on Ready Hour four-week emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour foods. At My Patriot Supply, you can also get solar power generators, water filtration units, heirloom seeds, and survival gear. Order by 3 p.m., and your unmarked boxes ship the same day. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com